Rad Mars Podcast, Episode 110. I'm Andrew Ford. And I'm Brendan Chambly. And I'm Trevor Williams. What is up, y'all? Happy Thanksgiving, technically. Yes. <laughs> We're recording this after midnight, at least on the East Coast. Yes, but it's two more hours until it's Thanksgiving in Central Time, where the rest of us are uh, occupied right now. Your mountain time? Our mountain time, yes. You're in mountain time right now? I'm in mountain time, visiting my parents. Uh, you are. In Tucson. You're in Arizona. Look at you. Look at your background. Yes. So yes, all the time zones are slightly closer together now. Okay, we'll we'll secretly high five at midnight our time. All right, looking forward to it, especially if we're still recording. <laughs> I missed the yeah. high five. If we're still recording. We've got a lot to talk about. I'd imagine <laughs> yeah, extra long episode. That's gonna be fun to edit. <laughs> we do it for you. Apologies if I sound a little off. I'm still fighting something, and if I'm coughing, I'm sorry to forward for having to edit out all my coughs. <laughs> I think so far, your level of coughing while sick is like the level of sound that Andy makes when he's healthy. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we're good. Our good old squeaky chairs, Mike Rauschy. True. Hmm. <laughs> and I figure we're due for Andy to make a return at some point, maybe in the near future. He mentioned that as well. He claimed it, yeah. And then hasn't. Then he disappeared into the, into the blackness again. Yeah. So, we'll the blackness happens. of parenthood. <laughs> the void. It's a dark place from which very few people ever return. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm feeling kind of bored. Do you want to play some board games? Wow. In this episode. <laughs> oh wow. I like the way you think, and I like even more the way you transition topics. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. So yeah, we were chatting about uh, uh, topics today and realized we hadn't really done a full-on episode about like board and card games. I think we talked about them in the past here and there, um, but they're a pretty, pretty big topic. There's tons of shit out there, um, you know, like Candyland, and <laughs> Monopoly, Monopoly, Snakes and Ladders. Snakes and risk. Ladders is tight. <laughs> risk is that what you said? I did say Risk. Yeah, Risk is actually, you know, that's that's like at least up until like college for me. That was my impression of board games, you know, and you buy them at like Toys R Us and they're made by Milton Bradley mm -hmm. and there's Ouija boards in there for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know our, I know I'm, I'm, I'm spoiling our topic by talking because we're talking about the complexity of board games, but now I'm just imagining that there's like a super complicated version of a Ouija board where like there's like extra rules for like how you contact ghosts. I want to play that now. I'm imagining you build out a cube. And you'd have to mm. sort of like hold it to the side of the cube <laughs> while you're going around. Yeah, hey, I saw that movie. It's called Hellraiser. Ah. <laughs> It'd be kind of fun to, because uh, there's actually a board game that I want to talk about today at some point that it does involve one of the players being a ghost and having to communicate cryptically to the other players. Mm. Wouldn't it be funny if there was like a Ouija board type thing where one player really was a ghost kind of controlling it? <laughs> yeah. 
So when I was younger, the most complicated and most interesting board game that I played was one called Axis and Allies. Um, oh, yeah. And mostly in the line of it being a complicated game. Um, I don't know if it was particularly good. And in fact, the game balance infuriated me as soon as we figured out a couple things about playing it. <laughs> um, so as the name implies, it's a World War II sort of, you know, simulator of sorts. Um, and it's really complicated and has lots of different units and has research and has, you know, capturing territories and income and a million little fidgety pieces. Um, but the combat system is relatively simple. Um, each unit has a combat strength from one to six. And if you roll that number or lower, you uh, do damage to an opponent uh, unit and it is destroyed. And the opponent has an a chance to roll the same. Anyway, uh, the net result of this, though, is that the weakest unit can have a power of one and the strongest unit can have a power of six. And my love for the game was forever diminished when I was attacking my brother with a battleship and he just had a lone transport, the weakest unit of them all. And my battleship missed, um, <laughs> I guess, at, at a power of five, so it can still miss. Or well, it, it had a one in six chance of missing. And the transport had a one in six chance of hitting, and it hit. So the net result was a battleship attacked a transport and was sunk by it, leaving the transport undamaged. A one in 36 chance of that <laughs> happening, which, you know, still happens every now and then, but was enough to really sort of, you know, tilt me enough to never want to play the game again. Who needs pesky concepts like hit points? <laughs> yeah. Well, another thing that we re uh, I realized, um, I think earlier on a game before or two before that was since all units have the same hit points, but all of them have different amounts of costs, it's actually pretty efficient to spend a ton of money buying infantry and then just letting them soak all the damage while your more powerful units uh, don't get destroyed. And I don't know if that was the way that the game was intended to be played, but um, it dramatically changed the combat dynamics once we actually got that through our heads. I mean, I guess kind of numerically, it sort of helps recreate the feeling of how, I don't know, like the old older fashioned wars go, right? It also slows down the pace of the game a lot because you're rolling <laughs> lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of dice because yeah. your infantry really suck at actually doing damage. Um, and every time you have to do another round because, oh yeah, they managed to wound two units and you have 36 infantry. So now you've got 34 infantry. So anyway... I'm probably going into too much detail of Axis and Allies, but suffice it to say, it was complicated, and some of the rules really made me angry. I mean, yeah, for an episode where we're probably going to do a lot of talking about complexity <laughs> and <laughs> possibly coming up to coming to the conclusion that too much complexity in these games is maybe not the best thing, <laughs> maybe we should try to avoid talking, explaining too many overly complex rules. <laughs> not going to be the most riveting podcasting. True. But, um... You know, Perhaps I should fine. leave it to Brave Ford in order to edit out my complicated <laughs> rules explanation. Nah, we're, like we're, we're invoking Ford quite a bit this episode. It's a bit of a worrisome <laughs> sign. <laughs> You're going to know everything about every board game Yes, by the end of this episode. Um, this Axis and Allies game, was it, was it kind of like one of those more mainstreamified games? Like, I feel like I remember it, but... It was still Milton Bradley. Yeah, um, yeah, okay. So, like... It was, in my mind, a step up from things like Risk and whatnot. Um, 
But I feel like it was a sort of game where they just threw a bunch of rules against the wall and saw what stuck. Um, it didn't have a lot of really sort of, you know, refined design behind it. They didn't really have sort of like, you know, a pass at cutting what really wasn't necessary and simplifying things. They just, they reveled in complexity. Yeah, it's like, um, there's there's a lot, at that, around that time period, there was all this unexplored design space in board games that no one realized. Because because they were stuck in the sort of idea of like chess and checkers and then like Candyland and all those and then maybe like Risk, and then and I w- I was in that kind of mindset too up until um, I was introduced to the German style board game as they call them. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know the I guess I should have looked this up, but I don't really know the full history of the the idea of the German style board game. But for me, my my gateway drug there was uh, Settlers of Catan. Yep. I would say that probably a lot of people have experienced the same thing that was the case for me in college as well yeah and it was like it was just cool because it was like i don't know it had a nice aesthetic it wasn't you know it didn't have and most most board games up to that point had kind of a cheesier aesthetic this one kind of had more like a serious like look at this this is like a nice island and you've got like these cool resources and you're building like a like a like a like a civilization or whatever and i, I don't know, I remember it had really cool like like a social dynamic to it with the trading and I was like, oh, wow, this is how, like, so board games can be, like, different than, than roll the dice, move a few spaces, and whatever the hell mm-hmm. else board games had done up to that, that time. Yeah, and that, that was, like, my, like, awakening to this whole world. Uh, Ford, you, you probably did this. Did you ever go to Millennium Games by RIT? Uh, I don't think I ever did. Is that, was that, like, the board game shop? It's, like, this big old hobby shop, yeah. So tons of magic cards, tons of, at the time, World of Warcraft collectible card game cards. That really stood the test of time. Um, and yeah, a bunch of, uh, uh, board games, like, like this, like new style of board game. Like you don't, you wouldn't see Candyland for sale in the store, but you would see Settlers of Catan and all these other, sto- all these other games. And then like all these other like little card games too. Like I remember getting one called Guillotine. Mm. It was like a, a, a very basic game. Like it was just, just a deck of cards and each, each card was like a, um, <laughs> it was like a French revolutionary war figure of some kind. And you were a, you were an executioner trying to like collect as many he- valuable heads as possible basically <laughs> <laughs> it was it was elegant it was cool it had a nice like aesthetic to it and, and it was kind of it was like fun to play and it was fast and easy right so you could just like pick it up play it in like 20 minutes and be done i was just in, I, was, I, I, I was inspired by this like whole new world of spaces card games didn't have to be a deck, a deck of normal cards and they didn't have to be magic cards either they could be this like other thing yeah for me, like it was starting with um, Settlers of Catan as well. And I think it was a sort of gradual process where I was just interacting with more friends uh, and more friends that were more into board games than myself. And they were introducing me to new things like, uh, God, Through the Ages was a super complicated one that I was introduced to that I thought was really interesting. I ended up buying it and never playing it. <laughs> um which is also another one of my takeaways from this, which is like, you don't really need to buy a lot of board games since typically you just need to be one of the four people that has a board game in order to play it. Um, you just buy the board games that you really like and you want to play regularly. You just have to have that one friend that has an actual wall of board games. Yes. <laughs> and you let <Yes>. them host. <laughs> and up until I moved from Boston, I had a friend like that. Um oh. And he also ran uh, uh, with his wife a board game night uh, once a month. 
and it was basically like the entirety of a Saturday. It was great. I miss those. So like when there's a board game night, did you guys always play like games that everyone already knew or would you like, were there like games where they, they had to introduce a new game to the whole group or whatever? And how did that work? It varied. Um, typically it was a mixture of both. Um, so the amount of people that came from month to month varied. Um, but I'd say that at its peak, it was, you know, around like 10 people. But the other thing also is that not everybody would come and stay for the entire time. And so that led to game choices in terms of you would typically start with lighter games where people could sort of come and go more easily. And then for, you know, after you got dinner, then you'd break out or like around dinner time, you'd break out the big, serious, you know, the crunchy game. games. Yes. <laughs> um, and sometimes um, it would be a big, serious, crunchy game that everyone's played before. But that was typically more along the time of when you'd be breaking out something new that would require like a half hour of explanation before you could get started. Which itself requires somebody to know it really well. Yes. And also be really good at explaining games because there are people who suck ass <laughs> at explaining games. Yeah. <laughs> it's a thing I had to do, you know, for my old job um, at the Institute of Play. You know, a, a, big, a big part of my job was explaining games to other people. And I, I got it down to kind of a science. Um, we would break down games and systems like in the same way, like a, like a systems thinking thing. And th this isn't, this is just sort of a general thing at this company and, and how we also taught students. Uh, a, a system where a game has like six parts, parts of a system, uh, the space, the goals, the conflict, uh, the core mechanic, the rules, and the components. And I just explained them in roughly the same order that I think you should explain a new game to somebody. So like I'm going from like, big wide ideas down to the very specific things whereas some people want to jump right into like really basic rules and it's like i have no fucking context for this rule what are you doing tell me like the goal please <laughs> tell me tell me what how i'm trying to win and then try to tell me what's 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 like the big obstacle to my goal right the, the conflict and then you can start telling me things like core mechanics and, and components and rules anyways I, that was the science that i, I kind of funneled it down to but not everyone has that that system sadly yeah I know that sometimes when I'm explaining a game, I can be like, ooh, this game is really cool and I'm so excited to do it. Like, let's tell you about the game and let's go about it and stream about it. Stream of consciousness, this entire motherfucker <laughs> from the beginning to the end. Um, and that can work well with simpler games, but when it comes to really complicated games, like I think one of the ones that I was introduced to um, earlier on was Arkham Horror. Oh, yeah, that game's really intense. Yeah, it's a really heavy, really chunky game. They've released like multiple versions of it now, and I think the later editions are actually a lot simpler than the original one. Um, but it was a game where you would take like an hour to explain the game, and there were lots of little fidgety, finicky bits that really didn't add much to the game, but added a decent amount of complexity and execution time. So like, I think that they probably made the game better as they simplified it. Um, but I really like the aesthetic of the game. And I like the sort of like overall idea, which is, you know, is this cooperative game where you're trying to prevent the end of the world by ancient old one, um, by delving into ancient mysteries and the arcane and whatnot. It's cool. It's Lovecraft mythos. Um, so I enjoy that. Although I don't know if I'd necessarily want to play the original game at this point again. Have any of y'all ever had to be the one who nobody knows the game in the group? And you have to be the one that like opens it up and like looks at the fucking rule book and figures it out. 
<laughs> That's typically not my role. My role is typically being the person who's like, well, actually, um, when we get to a corner case um, and looking up the rules, um, which can be really annoying at times to other people, but I think serves a valuable less, you know, serves a valuable function when people are learning a game in particular. Yeah, I feel like I'm at kind of a slightly weird spot in terms of my experience in that I never really had like a social, big social group of like friends playing board games in person. Like, you know, in college, I had like a couple times where I like would play some board games, some like super complicated thing that they had to like teach me. And it was really weird. I feel like there's always, I always kind of would start with sort of a negative impression of that. Cause like, there's always like the case when you like forget to do something or like, cause you know, board games, unlike video games, you have to execute all the rules yourself. And like, sometimes it's on the player and not like on other players to like actually do stuff. So it's like, Oh, I just forgot to do the thing I was supposed to do every turn. And it's like, that feels mm-hmm. like super shitty, but mm-hmm. kind of later, later on, we may have mentioned this before, but Roshi and I and some other friends had uh, have like a regular like online board game night on uh, tabletop sim where we play. Uh, originally, we play a lot of the legacy games. So that's that's almost like a whole other topic because legacy games are a thing where you have a board game that actually has some persistent state. It's like a campaign you play across multiple games and the game changes a little bit. Um, but now we've kind of shifted to just playing whatever random games. So I feel like I've gone from being annoyed, like having to like learn new games all the time to like. I feel like I've kind of gotten better at learning board games. Like learning how to play board games is like a skill in and of itself. I just kind of just realized this the other day as we were talking about this topic. Like, hmm. and now I'm like focused on like, okay, I can like look at something. I'll like watch a YouTube video beforehand. I'll I'll think like, okay, what's the goal of the game? What's the strategy? What's like the turn order? And what's the actions you can take on your turn? Like that's, and that's like, I like focus on those things to, to actually like learn how to play the game. And so I kind of can't tell, like, are we picking like are the games that our group is playing are they like not that complicated or am i just like used to complexity now <laughs> like i actually can't tell like you kind of get immersed in this world you know tell me some of the games you're playing uh one of the probably more complicated ones we played terraforming mars um mm. we played that power plant game i can't remember the exact name of the german one power power grid. power grid power grid that's pretty yeah. complicated that one's pretty complicated yeah, that like it's kind of complicated. It didn't like feel complicated once I got yeah. used to it, though. So it's it's like I mean, compared to like fucking Arkham, Arkham Horror and a few others, Game of Thrones board game, it's like you know, it's like maybe like a seven on the complexity, <laughs> six or seven. Yeah, so I feel like we're probably picking games that are like around there, where like you can kind of explain it in like ten minutes to people. We picked Uno and <laughs> Go Fish, super complex. Well, it's that's the great the great thing to 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 relay from our from our board game night is that's that's the 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 way to run the board game night the way we've done it is like you play your serious game and then you have a cooldown of like less serious like more fun games so we always end the night with some uno oh that's good nice uno is always the classic game to end on and you like don't really take it seriously because you're just kind of fucking around and uno is very random and it's uno right <laughs> but it's it's yeah. very it could be very fun depending on how your how your rules are set up which is cool now we're we're skipping ahead a couple layers of meta analysis but you mentioned that you're playing these on tabletop sim Can, what that that's just a fascinating concept to me yeah so i mean this is not you know 100 percent legit so sorry to, to the board game manufacturers but <laughs> the tabletop sim is a video game it's on steam um where you can play tabletop games um so it has like physics you can kind of pick up and move pieces around and, and whatnot it has card card support stuff you can have you know hotkeys for like drawing cards and stuff and people make versions of all sorts of different board games in tabletop sim and we do this because we're all scattered around different places like i'm in boston a couple of people are in new york city 
crouches in Rochester. So it's like, this is the only way for us to actually like play. But, you know, we play a bunch of like real, you know, real ass <laughs> legit board games on, on a video game kind of format. Just like playing it in real life, it still relies on you, the players, to enforce the rules, right? Aside from minor things like drawing cards or whatever. Yes, although certain games uh, in Tabletop Sim, you actually can script stuff. Um, oh. So like certain things, like depending on how fancy like the person who made the game version did it, like sometimes they're actually kind of like, it can actually execute some rules. But it's kind of like, it's always like a mixed bag. You kind of have to like learn like, okay, what's the game going to do for me? Like, do I have to like manage myself? And I still have had that shitty experience of like fucking up a rule and like, one time I like accidentally won like a game because it's like, oops, I accidentally like drew like six cards when I was supposed to draw like one and didn't notice immediately. So <laughs> like that felt bad. Oops. Yeah, that really sucks. And that's one of the things about being intentional or having to adjudicate all the rules yourself. Um, and for me, like I was playing a, another game, a sort of like trick taking game. It's like, oh yeah, you have, you can only play a wild card if you can't play any other cards. And I was playing wild cards left and right. And then I didn't find out until it was like the end of the game night. And I'm like, wait, what? You mean I was winning this entire time because I was cheating and I didn't even realize I was cheating? <laughs> Fuck that. Yeah, it's especially bad because I've, I've noticed in a lot of these games, especially the more complex ones, is that the like the balance and the sort of economy of like who's winning and losing is so tight that like one tiny little advantage can like snowball into like the win, you know? And if that advantage is accidentally unfairly gained, then it's like extra sucks. Yeah, that was that was the one shitty time we had playing Terraforming Mars, which I think is a really cool game, except that like there's like a rule where if you like build a city next to like a body of water, you're supposed to get money, but we accidentally had it as income. <laughs> so like all the people oh, who, wow. who like got yeah. So like we just like misread the rule because it's like those those things look like similar or sound similar in the rules. So it's like you just misinterpret one thing and like it's a crazy advantage for certain players. So like a one time like gain of money uh, versus like persistent gain of money yeah <laughs> oops <laughs> yep pretty big difference uh, i guess you make it maybe Ford, you probably don't experience this then but like this literally happens to me where my brain starts to hurt with these games <laughs> like layers upon layers of crunchy rules i i literally get like a brain fog and, and like a very mild headache <laughs> i feel like i've had some of that i think i think it's maybe because we kind of are picking or like the kind of the guy who's in charge of picking the games is like actually doing a very good job now that i think about it and not picking super crazy games because we're also mm. you know we don't spend the entire day doing it we only spend like we we pick games that only take like you know two hours or something or less to to play we're not we're not doing super long stuff but i kind of i, I kind of know what you're talking about where like there's just this mental overload if you're not used to it. But again, I think this is also a kind of thing you kind of get acclimated to. So I think the people who are into board games, like really seriously, like don't think about this stuff for new players at all. I guess. I actually had a similar experience, uh, well, to the brain fog. I didn't have the headache, fortunately, but uh, <laughs> uh, I play board games every other week at work and uh, with coworkers. And last week, uh, one of my coworkers decided to take the opportunity to teach everybody bridge. And I was like, cool, oh. I've heard about Bridge before, but I've never played it. And so I'm curious how this game works. And he had set up scenarios for teaching the game. And Bridge is, you know, it's a game that takes a standard deck of 52 cards. It's a trick-taking game, which means that, you know, everybody plays a card and then one person wins the trick and wins all those cards. Um, and you play it with two teams of two people. The rules for adjudicating it are actually fairly simple. You know, it's like the highest card wins. There can be uh, 
okay, I don't want to go too much into the craziness town. <laughs> I don't want to do this with like Axis and Allies. But your partner rotates, right? No, or your no? partner stays the same. Oh, okay. What rotates is what so. <laughs> What makes the game really complicated is that there's a bidding system for determining what uh, suit of cards is wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like coming back to me slowly. I learned bridge once a long time ago. <laughs> right. And the bidding system requires you to say, this is how many tricks I'm going to be able to take. And you have to, you know, meet a certain number of tricks. Um, and if you don't make that, you lose a lot of points. Um And okay, so there's a bidding system for establishing what suit is wild. But you don't just use the bidding system for that. You also use the bidding system using a, a complicated set of standard conventions in order to communicate to your partner what sort of cards you have in your hand. Like, I have the ace of spades, and you can do a bid in order to communicate that information. And whether or not your opponents skip, you know, things in bidding and whatnot communicates other information. But... Um, the person who was teaching the game brought out a sheet of paper, or maybe it was like two or three sheets of paper, and it was all just conventions for establishing bidding rules and communicating information during it. And he was going through these complicated scenarios, and like my brain just sort of shut down, and I'm like, <laughs> I have no idea what the fuck is going on. The logic could have been incredibly loose, and I would have been like, oh yeah, sure, whatever, that makes sense, sort of, kind of. But like, I walked away from it with this sort of feeling like, I never really want to play this game again. Oh no. Um, I never played it in the first place. I just went through the process of learning the rules. But the entire like bidding, I mean, I guess part of it is that it's not the type of game I like. Trick-taking games in general, I don't like that much. But just how incredibly complicated and convoluted the bidding rules were and the fact that you need to memorize a bunch of standard conventions and whatnot, like, and I'm terrible at memorizing things. Like, This is just sort of like a lot of the things that I like least about games put together in one crisp horrifying package <laughs> but how will you get in with all the cool old ladies that play bridge i'll just have to hope that uh another game is popular when i am an old man <laughs> it's gonna be super <laughs> smash brothers hopefully <laughs> it's gonna be the same games we played when we were young so that there it is fucking overwatch i don't know did did people play bridge when they were young is that really a I, thing well there was no technology then so all they had was decks of cards to play with <laughs> <laughs> and, they, and they had hours to come up with conventions they also had hoop and stick but they can't <laughs> play hoop and stick when they're old so they play bridge <laughs> <laughs> but what about jack so jack doesn't take a whole lot of uh physical dexterity i guess it kind of does never mind it takes a whole <laughs> kind of dexterity what are you talking about i can't even think of another old person game um anyways moving on <laughs> shuffleboard <laughs> shuffleboard yeah oh yeah backgammon there we go that's there we go that's pretty popular and dominoes if you're in my old neighborhood in New York City. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of these sort of like old person games are very much the sort of, you know, American generation of games. But surprisingly, it doesn't include Monopoly or Risk or any of those other things. Although I'm wondering if it's because those games are more recent or if it's just because nobody likes them when they get older. <laughs> yeah, they're kind of shallow games in a sense, right? Like, even Monopoly has, like, a dominant strategy now, right? Yeah. Is there a strategy? The strategy is buy yeah. everything. Yeah, though I think the strategy is you buy all the houses because that prevents people from getting hotels. Yeah, oh, I you see, never I see. upgrade to hotels because the number of houses is limited. <laughs> okay, okay. That's funny. Oh, and the auction, the auction rule that, like, nobody knows, too. You, you force that upon people and then buy all the shit. <laughs> Um, but no, I mean, like, there, uh, there's definitely something to be said 
and why like some games, I guess the more old fashioned ones persist. There's like a simplicity and elegance to them and, 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 or a like flexibility, right? Like you can play multiple types of games with a deck of cards. You can play multiple, there are multiple games with dominoes, right? I know there's like kind of like one major dominoes game, but I think there might be variations. I'm trying to think about, I don't expect you guys to know this, but like how like Mahjong fits into this. Cause the, I may have complained about this before, but I was trying to sort of learn how to play Mahjong because it's a mini game in the Yakuza games. And Mahjong <laughs> is so fucking complicated. It's, it blows my mind. It's a weird kind of complexity. Cause I think it's kind of interesting. There's kind of different angles and types of complexity in a game where the actions you take in Mahjong are pretty simple, right? Like you get, you basically have a hand of tiles and you have to assemble a certain hand that has like a point value essentially. Right, and different hands have different point values. That's the kind of the kicker that I'll get back to. Uh, but the actions are pretty simple. Like you draw one and you discard one, hmm. and you can also take uh, what someone else discards and like put that together with like a set of stuff that you have. But you have to reveal it when you do that. Um, so like that, the actual actions you take are pretty straightforward. But like the problem is like the point values of the hands is like so complicated. There's like a hundred things you have to memorize. Like I don't understand like. It's a big cultural thing in China and Japan, like, but it's kind of like, oh yeah, simple and elegant games are what stand the test of time. It's like, no, this game's really fucking complicated. It's been around for thousands <laughs> of years. Like, something doesn't quite add up here. And I would also say that, like, games, like, I think there's definitely something to be said in terms of a game being simple and elegant and sort of self-explanatory. But I think that there's always a sort of, you know, competing imperative, which is, you know, what makes the game work best. And sometimes there's a little bit of additional complexity that's really necessary or, you know, benefits the game as a whole. And what I'm thinking of in particular as I say this is in chess, the en passant rule, where pawns are able to, you know, diagonally take uh, pawns that move two spaces in front of them past them. Um, I'm not good right. enough at chess in order to say why it's an important thing or a good thing, but chess historians universally agree it was a good thing, I assume. It's also the source of uh, one of the funniest Reddit posts of all time, which is like, I think the AI is cheating. He just moved a pawn and then like took another pawn. And then the first reply is like, Google en passant. And then the guy's like, holy <laughs> hell. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, the, the phrase simple and elegant gets bandied about a lot, but I think the key word really is elegant because... Elegant basically means as much complexity as is good and necessary, but no more. Mm -hmm. I guess that's one way you could say what elegance could mean, right? It's like it it does exactly what it needs to do without any sort of extraneous stuff. I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I, I think of a slinky red dress when I think of the word elegant. <laughs> ah. um, and, you know, a slinky red dress is not necessarily simple. Like it, it doesn't have like tons of frills and stuff, but it still has nuance, right? It's going to have like, I don't know, sequins or glitter or like really nice stitching or something. So I, I, try, I, try to, I try to lean more towards the elegant side of it than I do the simplicity side of it. But they're like related concepts. I think that's fair. When they say um, uh, sometimes really great design is not saying what can you add, but what can you remove? And, you know, that's like trending towards elegance, like getting rid of anything that's extraneous. Hmm. Yeah. So I love learning new board games when, I, when, when that little like pop goes off in my head. I'm like, oh my God, that's such an elegant system. I love it. And that's the opposite of the brain fog that I get when it's like, oh my God, another fucking system. Oh my God, another set of fiddly little pieces of plastic to mess with. Yeah, I feel like that's sort of common between board games, video games, card games, whatnot. Um, in my mind, a lot of what's interesting is somebody figuring out a relatively simple system or a simple that is simple to explain, but has a lot of deep and profound consequences. Mm -hmm. So 
for example, I think we've talked about this before, Conway's Game of Life. It's a very simple system to describe, but it ends up being a sort of like NP-complete. Uh, I don't know if it's NP-complete or not, but it's. I know that you can sort of like, you can use it in order to do general computation um, by doing all sorts of like weird things. And that's just a consequence of how many different states it can, in, in you know, enter and but like how well it can be broken down into easily understandable things you've got these things like gliders you've got these things like generators that produce gliders um and just basically there's a terminology and sort of like you know knowledge of conway's game of life that people can develop and use in order to you know build more complicated abstractions right but all all it is all it is is just a simple rule set of there are cells they can be alive or dead and whether they're alive or dead depends on their neighbors in the previous round. Right. That's, that's it. And it's basically like too many too many neighbors, it dies. Too few neighbors, it dies. Otherwise, at the happy medium, it's alive. And yep. you get all, a huge amount of interesting complexity from that. And a super happy number, then life gets generated as well from yeah. neighbors, which is very important. You're getting at like stuff that has like lots of interesting consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it when that the the rules tap into the the interesting complexity of like humans and social interactions. And I think that's like the big kind of advantage that you might have with a board game than you do with like a video game. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of why I tend to really like it, rather than having a really complex board game, let the let the computer takes care of the complexity and let's like strip away everything that, until we get to something that's like really, really good for being there in person with each other. Mm-hmm. So like like werewolves or mafia is a really great example. It's a game where, you know, you have like a group of people, some of them are secretly sort of the bad guys and they know who the other, they know who each other are. And they're kind of like systematically removing other people from the game through this like turn-based system. And it's up to everybody else to try to figure out who they are. And they're only figuring out who they are through essentially the social interactions that you have between rounds. It's excellent. I'm terrible at those games and I kind of hate them as a result. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> I think the other thing also about sort of like mafia werewolves, um, there's some problematic game design uh, with it as well, which is permanent player elimination. Um, yeah. And on top of that, like the game starts by randomly choosing somebody who's not going to participate in the game. And it's like, you've got 10 people together, you arranged this thing. And then one person's sitting out and not able to play, like even from the very beginning, they didn't get to sit in for a round. They're just there in silent the entire time. Wait, what? What? What are you talking about just in the way that uh mafia typically starts like one person's randomly killed like mm. to start the game off no not I've randomly but way. like the mafia chooses somebody to get killed well yeah everyone everyone talks in the beginning because it, it, it's that's how it is it's every round the mafia chooses someone to die so the first person right. to die it does suck for them it's not necessarily random i absolutely put the target on my fucking forehead by talking too much in the first round mm-hmm. and they're like he's too he's too like I was going to say too smart, but that's probably not true at all in that case. But whatever, whatever I was, I was, I was chosen. And I was like, yep, that's a lesson learned. <laughs> yeah. My stupid mouth shut. So, but that being said, I think there's a lot of good games that have been built based off of that, like uh, oh, yeah. Secret Hitler. Uh, I was going to bring up Secret Hitler. <laughs> yeah. Which I mean, is the same sort of thing. It's a social deduction game, but there's no permanent player elimination. Oh, Yeah. Well, yes, there is, but it's rare. Oh, yeah, the assassination rule. Yeah. <laughs> That's like the very, very end of the game. Yeah. Yeah, and it has a nice, like, it has some nice, like, uh, just a little bit of an extra mechanic put onto it of, like, the whole passing legislation thing so that there are reasons to sort of, like, bluff and lie 
mm-hmm. about what's happening like in this like game system and not just about bluffing and lying about what your identity is. So like right. it gives it just a little bit of extra. Again, I think it's a very elegant system. All right. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's just like liberal policy or fascist policy <laughs> and 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 like choosing between the, the options and they're like hidden options and uh, it's very it's very very good game secret hitler's great i um i kicked ass at secret secret hitler once i took advantage of essentially a, a human defect of like they definitely projected who i was in past rounds onto who i am in the current round mm-hmm. so i uh i was not I was like on the liberal side for like a few rounds in a row and I, it became very clear to everybody that I was very good at passing liberal legislation and doing it efficiently and like seriously. And so they kept making me the guy. I, I forget that's the chancellor or something mm-hmm. or it, it's, it's, it's some role. So they, they kept giving it to me and I kept kicking ass at it. And then I got fucking secret Hitler and I just played the same exact persona and just like, like no nonsense passing legislation, passing legislation. Um, I, you know, occasionally you're forced to pass fascist legislation because that's all you get. Like, that's all you get for the options. And I just pretended that happened a few times. And then, um, and, and, and then they, they, whatever, I forget, I forget exactly what the rules are, but like they set me up as the chancellor and a fascist was the other thing, prime minister. Fucking, I don't remember anymore. And then I was just like, yep, here I am, secret Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of social engineering is, is pretty fun. And that's what's like, that's what I start to get at. Like, it's a simple game. You play it pretty quickly. Like each round was like what less than ten minutes, basically, when everyone knows the rules. That's kind of like my preferred thing. That's kind of what I was thinking about as far as kind of what uh, what good board games or card games kind of optimize for. That almost are kind of hard for hard to capture in video games to some extent. Is like this, you know, again social aspect of the like the reveal moment, right? Like you get the reactions of people in the room when they go like, "Holy shit!" Like that. Like that's yeah. a big thing in like poker. Even like mahjong has a thing where you kind of reveal like, "Oh, I'm one tile away from winning." Like that kind of stuff is like, you know, relies on it being like a hidden information kind of game. But it's like that seems like a very kind of efficient angle for like to get a good board game or card game experience is like the moment where a thing is revealed. You know, I think when you're talking about the sort of like six core points when you're sort of explaining. uh a board game to somebody new space goal conflict core mechanics components rules yeah conflict is what i'm thinking about it's in terms of how players interact with each other because typically you're playing a competitive game and how you actually can influence other people's actions is what really differentiates a game from being six people playing solitaire in the same room and one person just saying i win first which holy shit there are so many games that are like that just sort of accidentally it's crazy and honestly i like that to an extent uh one of my favorite games is a game called agricola Mm -hmm. where you know you're a subsistence farmer uh i think i've spoken about this during the podcast in the previous uh thing but you're building a farm in which you're trying to be, you know, self-sufficient and, you know, build a nice place for you and your family. Um, and interaction with other players is largely about who is going to choose what resources. So you need to know what other people are going towards and whatnot. But the thing is, if you're doing absolutely awful and you know that there's no chance for you to win, you can still try to make as nice of a life for your little meeples as possible. <laughs> really? by trying to get yeah you can still try to get as you know a nice big house have many children you know get enough food and you know not have people starve you're not going to win the game but you can still have satisfaction in building up your economic engine um and i like that 
And I think that that's sort of like a decent... Uh, is that you pro- projecting like a sub-goal? <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Is that you like rationalizing like, I suck at this, but at least my imaginary people are good. I mean, I find it... I don't think it's just projection. I think it's just sort of like the process of building a farm is enjoyable. And, you know, obviously it's... Well, not obviously, but I think it's more enjoyable to be building a farm in the context of being in the running for building the best farm. Mm. Um, and, you know, sort of, you know, running against other people and dealing with that. But, you know, some of these games, I think Agricola included, have like one player, single player variants to them, where, you know, typically they're not as good as the multiplayer option, but people still play these games by themselves, um, building up their economic engine. And I mean, that's typically the type of game I enjoy, ones where you're building up and executing on some sort of economic engine. Do you like Dominion? I do, but it's been quite a while since I played it. And I do occasionally get annoyed by some of the optimal strategies that require you to shuffle your deck over and over and over and over and over and over and over again (laughs) if you're playing it in person. Yeah. I had a lot of friends that played it more regularly than I did, and they ended up preferring the electronic version just because it automated shuffling for you. (laughs) Um, I had one other... So so you guys kind of said you didn't really like the whole like secret roles mechanic. So... There's a few games out there now, and I think they're all made. They're made by the same company, so they kind of have like a similar theme going on. But I also love this this idea of games where um, I don't know. I guess I guess it's like player interpretation is the sort of social dynamic here. So um, I was alluding to it earlier, but this one game called uh, Mysterium. One player is a ghost who has been murdered, like, and and the other players are trying to solve the murder, and so you are a ghost trying to give them visions to help guide them to the correct answer. So uh, the visions are actually these cards with beautiful, very complex, very surreal art on them with lots of weird little details and different kind of vibes. And it's up to you to give like, like, so like each player basically has like a few different things that they need to figure out. And you're trying to give them as the ghost, the, the, the piece of art that will get them to choose the correct thing and not the wrong thing. And you're trying to like get everyone the right clues to eventually piece together the mystery of your murder. And I love it. I love that game. It's just like... A very very cool elegant again system system like there's complexity in the sense that the, the art that you give them is actually very very complex but the mechanics are not and and the the interplay is all in the players trying to figure out what the hell you mean by this you know dreamlike thing with a golden birdcage floating in space and there's also for some reason the, the bowler hat and a chameleon you know like what the fuck <laughs> what are you trying to tell me here it's great i think that's kind of funny in that it's almost harder but funnier to do that in person right rather than like a video game form because how do you not accidentally convey information via your body language or something like that mm-hmm. you know like if you'd like if they're on the wrong track and you give them something then they're obviously being stupid you can't just go like Ugh! you know <laughs> yeah and there's there's actually some rules in there that allow the ghost to do a little bit of that they're really supposed to just i think knock for like yes or no i think something like that but um <laughs> the ghost is supposed to kind of do like a bit of a poker face but they're also supposed to kind of like listen to everybody's like talking about their clues and shit right and can kind of use that as feedback to like choose better clues you know hmm. sounds like a cool game also sometimes your your cards are just shit <laughs> you have to give them a shit vision because you don't have good options have you ever had an experience where you're like this vision very clearly demonstrates exactly what i need them to know oh yeah i've had some pretty good success with it before yeah, it's like you basically have to um, you have to associate the cards with like first like a suspect, 
and then like a weapon and then I think a place. I can't remember. So really it's like a, there's the pictures of the suspect options and then you're trying to like pick pick the vision that like gets the one the person to to choose the proper su- suspect. So it's like look at their vibe, look at their costume. You know, like maybe this person's like a I don't know, like a musketeer and then you have a vision card that has a very clear gun on it and you're like, "Yes, here." You know. <laughs> Something like that. Or or the weapon is literally a gun and there's a gun and you know <laughs> It can be like that sometimes. Fair. Yeah. Uh, that very same company made another game called Obscurio, which is like similar. It takes it, but it takes another step more. And it's like a bunch of people trying to navigate a weird haunted maze, I think. But one of the players is actually a traitor. So it's got that werewolves mechanic in it, in addition to the interpretation thing. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to get the they're trying to get the group to choose the wrong option while everyone else is trying to choose the correct option based on the clues. Yeah, to be clear, I don't necessarily dislike the mechanic of having a traitor and hidden roles and whatnot, but... You just don't like the early elimination thing? That's part of it. And I think also part of it's just that I struggle in terms of being able to sort of read people uh, well enough to feel like I'm any good at it. And I tend to be a somewhat competitive person and I want to feel like I'm good at the games I'm playing and being playing a game where I'm like, I'm awful at this and I'm always going to be awful at this. <laughs> <laughs> is a little bit disheartening. I kind of had some of the similar experience, although again, it's kind of like a little bit different. Cause again, I'm playing all my board games online only over voice with no body language. So it's a little bit different, but yeah, I, I definitely found that kind of experience of like, you know, social deduction and bluffing type games to be very frustrating, especially when like the competitive stuff where someone like bluffs or like does an obvious thing where like they're obviously baiting you. And just like, it's just so embarrassing to get like, you know, fooled like in an obvious way in retrospect it's like that sucks it's just like feels bad your friend just like totally got one over on you because you were too dumb to see what they're doing it like does not feel fun to be on the receiving end of that ever Hmm. but yeah this actually is making me think of another game which i think is sort of like uh really deserves to be discussed in any game of a discussion of board games but um just as a side before I introduce it, um, another thing that I think is really important when it comes to the ways that players interact with each other. Violence in board games. You Violence in board games. You have to yes. fight in real life while also fighting in the board game. Well, I mean... It's like boxing, th- chess. Yes. <laughs> boxing chess. Yes. How does boxing chess work? You get to throw a punch whenever you take a piece? You just you alternate between... right. You, you know this board, right? Yeah, sorry. To be totally pedantic, it's called chess boxing. And you, you alternate some amount of time of... Chess with like a round of boxing. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Anyway, um, it's, a tr- it's true Renaissance man's game, right? You gotta yep. be, yes. you gotta be multi talented. I'm um, sorry. <laughs> oh, it's fine. Um, what I was thinking about is how directly you interact with other players. Um, so I was talking about Agricola, where it's like you're competing for resources, but you never directly interact with other people. Whereas you know, in war games, for example, you're explicitly blowing shit up of the other players, and that can be frustrating in a couple of different ways. Um, first off, um, if there's like a bunch of different players, one player can get eliminated completely, and that's never a good experience for somebody. And the other one also is like negotiations and sort of forming alliances with people and sort of being like, oh yeah, I'm going to help you out, and then you need to help me out later, or you know, we're going to work <gasps> together for this. I know what game you're about to say. Yes, and all this brings... Uh, to a head, the game of diplomacy. Yeah. Yes. Which is like the entire game consists of forming alliances and... It's all about the juicy social interactions and right. the, the mechanics of the game itself are actually pretty simple. Yeah. It's actually a very elegant system. Um, yeah. It like 
there are a lot of corner cases that need to be uh, explored in terms of how combat gets resolved, in terms of support getting broken mm-hmm. and things like this, that, and the other. But I'd say on the whole, it's actually uh, well done. Um, but it is a game that, despite the fact that I think it's a very well done and well designed game, it's a game I find infuriating and will basically refuse to play at this point. I mean, I've only played it exactly once in my whole life. It was in college. It was a great experience. I'm really glad I played it. Once was enough. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> the um the the kicker the kicker of diplomacy. If anyone is not familiar with it, it's sort of like Risk, right? Except where you like controlling things on a map. Except you can only have one unit per territory, and so. If, you, if, if an attacker attacks a defender and there's a tie, the defender wins. So how the fuck do you capture territory? Well, neighboring territories can support to attack and then that's and that's and to defend. So the, then you just sort of measure it up and if the attacking side has more, then it wins. And you almost can never do that with your own forces. You have to get help from other people to do that. The second kicker is that in diplomacy, you don't take turns like like in risk where like, where like it's my turn, I'm going to do a thing. Now it's your turn, you're going to do a thing. Everyone takes their turn at the same time and they do that by writing down what they're going to do and then submitting it. And then that's unchangeable and then it all resolves simultaneously. So there's always a round of what you say you're going to do and then there's what you actually write down and actually do. And those two things are often very different. And that's, that's, that's what makes it incredibly juicy. Did I, did I elegantly explain the elegant game system? <laughs> I think so. Hooray. I was going to say, yeah. So the, like, the core of the game is about forming alliances, convincing other people to do things that are in your own best interest. And sometimes those are actually you know, legitimate alliances where you're working together for a greater good. And very often they're just you know, alliances of you know, convenience or you know, I'm just going to betray this person in another turn or whatnot. But uh, I, I think diplomacy has been described as the game that has ruined more friendships than any other game. <laughs> just because people hate being betrayed and betrayal is such a core part of the game and people tend to take it seriously. You know what the real problem is, is that it's got colonialism and, and, and fucking whatever the other word is that I'm trying to think of. Imperialism. imperialism. Thank you. <laughs> imperialism just baked into its rule set. That's the goal from the outset is to be imperialist. What if, what if everyone was just like, I'm good with my territory? <laughs> <laughs> I think you've described a very different game. <laughs> I've described it's uh, all, all my little farmers are happy farming. Mm. <laughs> Anyways, the good ending of diplomacy is that you quit and you go play Agricola instead. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Solo, you play solitaire version of it. Um, not to bring back Eve Online like I always do, but uh, that's actually what some people say when they say they've won Eve Online. It's that they've quit it permanently. <laughs> <laughs> So your Guildmaster won Eve Online? Yes, yeah. Corporation CEO. Our founder, as we could say. We're actually about to... Um, so our corporation was founded around this time of year, so I'm doing like a, a Founder's Day type thing. I'm calling it Turkey Sandwich Day because we celebrate it the day after Thanksgiving, and our founder's name <laughs> is Turkey Sandwich. Nice. <laughs> and it's a great day to play Eve because it's like the day after Thanksgiving, and unless you're forced to go Black Friday shopping, you've got the day off. Or you're European or Canadian, which like half my corp is, so kind of stupid. <laughs> um, I had another uh, uh, sort of elegant framework for social interaction games, which is the like submitting the shit to the judge and then the judge picks the one. And there's I, I tend to love these in a lot of cases, although I can also see lots of flaws. <laughs> but like, it's usually like just so much fun to play, assuming you're not playing competitively. I think that's the issue. But when you're just having fun at the stuff that the people submit 
this is like you know apples to apples or cards against humanity which come to think of it that was the episode that we talked about these games before because andy went on like a 20 minute rant on how, how much he hates that game mm. <laughs> my favorite version of these games is called um uh, joking hazard it's the like cyanide and happiness webcomic game so your cards are panels of a comic and they're like designed such that it's like, you know, the same two dudes basically in every panel doing different things. So they can kind of be interchanged around to make different comics, you know, card by card. And so the, in, in a normal round, the judge is, is presenting two cards in order that are the setup. And then you have to, you have to submit a punchline card as like the other players do. So everyone submits a punchline card and then like the judge like goes through, like puts them down. Everyone gets to laugh at every different, every different punchline and then choose the best one. And then that person wins the point. And the judge, you know, usually rotates so everyone gets different time, times to like uh, be the judge and be the submitters. And it's usually just like a laughy good time. And I think that's perfect for a social gathering compared to like million crunchy rules that you play for six hours. Yeah, definitely fits the bill for something light and nice for rounding out the evening or doing something which is just, you know, pass some time in a companionable manner. Companionable. Companionable. It's <laughs> a good word. I can't say it. What's your favorite uh, card game or board game? Huh. I think mine is probably Agricola. Um, it's been quite a while since I played it, though. I even have an expansion for it, Farmers of the Moor, that I realize I've never unpacked because, like, typically I haven't played it regularly enough with other people. Um, there's other games that I could say that I would really, that I love, but uh, I haven't played enough of them to really sort of seal the deal maybe i'll recommend another one for uh hey check this out fuck i gotta go look at my closet of games real fast so i can be like wait <laughs> if i'm remembering the correct ones i'll be back in like two seconds <laughs> i'm back all right <laughs> i don't know i don't know if i could call it my favorite but it is the one that I, i'm always going to for any kind of social situation because it like works for it works for people who are used to playing crunchy games it's, it's for people who don't and it, it, the game is code names mm. it's basically Again, it's pretty simple. It, it's there's like a grid of like different words on the board, and some of them belong to you, and some of them belong to the your the opposing team. And you're trying to get your teammates to guess the words. And the way you do that is by giving a one word clue and a number, and that number corresponds to the number of tiles down on the board that court that like are related to the word you just said. And it's very easy to accidentally lead your 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 people astray. Uh, they could accidentally select. Uh, neutral cards or even your enemy cards and there's one spy card that if you have if they select it you just you just outright lose it's a game we play with my family uh for thanksgiving and christmas and stuff these days i also like sushi go because it's cute and also simple and elegant <laughs> to play cool i think for me again maybe i got stockholm syndrome into <laughs> picking this one for lack of a better term because another term is shooting um because we played rashi and some friends and i played betrayal legacy Betrayal and House on the Hill. Betrayal is a really cool game. I may have mentioned it before, but basically the premise is you're kind of exploring like a haunted house, kind of. And by exploring, I mean you kind of get to pick like the layout of the house every time you play, which is really cool. Like you choose a direction to go and then you put that tile down. You you know, you draw a tile from the tile deck and you kind of put it down where you want. So you kind of every time you play, you build a different layout of the house, which is really cool. And at some point a betrayal starts where someone is like the traitor. Uh, the game kind of totally changes and the objective totally changes. Maybe the maybe the traitor has to like kill everybody or they have to get to a certain spot or something like that. Um, I don't know. I just love the like kind of horror theme that it has and just like 
Rule-wise, it's not super simple, but I feel like it's light enough that it's not super complicated to explain to people. And also kind of everyone kind of goes through this process of having to learn like a new game <laughs> every time the, or it's called the haunt. Every time the haunt starts, the haunts, you kind of have yeah. to learn some new, some new rules. But usually they're pretty simple. Um, so it's kind of a fun collective sort of learning process. And then the kind of game totally changes and you maybe have to kill somebody that you were just working with, which is kind of fun. I think it's kind of fun if you don't take it like super duper seriously. Um, and the legacy version is really cool too. I have a really cool story about that game. If you don't mind me telling. Sure. Uh, this was years ago now, but, um, our friend turned 30 and when you're gay in 30, it basically, you're basically dead. So it's, you call it your gay zombie, the gay zombie birthday. <laughs> and so um, he celebrated his 30th birthday by inviting us all to his um, f- fairly nice, large parents' house up in like, uh, you know, Westchester somewhere. And um, he set up an, uh, like a real life uh, betrayal like game in the house so we actually like explored the house in the dark picking up cards like under under like little glowing candle things and like kind of like assembling our items and our whatever like you would do in the normal game the the kicker was that there was no randomly generated haunt the haunt was like predetermined by him and it was him becoming like a lich to steal all our youth from us <laughs> so like so like we all had our cars and we sat down to have dinner and then he revealed the haunt and revealed that he was the like, kind of like the boss enemy and that we had to like fight him and it was just like a really really creative amazing fun time super memorable we did kill him <laughs> we the 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 players won and he did not steal our youth at this point by the way we were all sub 30 aside from him so that's why it made sense ah. <laughs> um so yeah have we have we solved uh board games and card games to be to be figured all out i think we have <laughs> i'm certainly there's more we could throw out there but uh maybe another time i guess yeah like you, we could definitely go into the whole realm of like digital board and card games that are not tabletop simulator but they're actual but i, I feel like that could be just a whole other topic yeah and i mean similarly like the topic of how video games frequently will adapt some of these systems like there's a lot of game video games that have card games built into them yeah well then to be continued in part two <laughs> not necessarily next episode we don't know yeah it's whenever we f- feel like it it's our show <laughs> and we'll cry if we want to <laughs> <laughs> so shall we take a break let's do it yep and we're back do you guys want to do hey check this out I'm so ready. I'll kick us off, actually. Um, so I'm going to recommend uh, the board game Star Wars Rebellion. I think I've only had the occasion to play it twice. Um, and it is a game that is very much a 1v1 game. It's only for two players. But it is extremely well done um, in terms of encompassing the sort of like experience of playing in a Star Wars game. Um 
it's asymmetric sort of galaxy, I wouldn't say galaxy conquest, but that's kind of what it feels like. You've got the Rebel Alliance and you've got the Empire and the Empire is trying to basically take over the, you know, universe and the Rebels are trying to do the same. But the Empire is definitely more powerful than the uh, Rebellion and the victory conditions are very different for the two of them as a result. So the Empire basically wins by default or if they wipes out the uh, Rebellion, whereas the Rebellion needs to get like a certain number of victory points that they get by doing things like inspiring uh, the galaxy by winning pivotal battles and doing things like that. And, you know, you also are sort of like giving actions for, you know, heroes. You've got like, you know, Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader and you have them running around doing things, causing a fight, you know, stuff like that. That sounds super cool. Yeah, it's a really cool game, um, and it's basically and apparently they have some expansions which do like um, additional Star Wars movies. But like the general theme of the base game, I think is episodes one. Well, you know the original trilogy, I should say. I'm not even going to try to guess which episodes are right anymore. But it's a really cool game um, if you want to, if you have a another person to play it with with a regular basis. It sounds a lot better than uh, Star Wars. Monopoly edition or the Monopoly Star Wars edition. Yes. <laughs> Star Wars Monopoly edition. <laughs> There's a bunch of people in monocles fighting over the galaxy. Yes. I cannot recommend that game as strongly as Star Wars Rebellion. <laughs> the thimble controls the galactic center. <laughs> Can you make that the title of this episode, please? Sure. It's done. Yes. <laughs> Oh, um, I can go next to as well. Uh, I also have another board game to um, to recommend because I just wasn't able to slot it into our other discussion. It's called Concept. Um, I guess this is a whole other right. Like it's a performance game, you know, in the sense like uh, charades or or um, Pictionary or whatever. Except the performing quote unquote that you're doing is putting like tokens down on a board of like different icons, basically. So you're trying to like assemble a bunch of ideas communicated by those icons to like synthesize into like the thing that the player's trying to guess um if you know like the golden compass or the um the his dark material series it kind of is like playing the lithiometer like the magic compass that points at symbols to like communicate information like that's what it feels like to me mm. uh, so i really love that game that sounds really cool it's called concept cool for me uh a quick side one just speaking of star wars uh you should watch andor the show it's on disney's bus it's very good it's as good as people say it's great uh i'm only halfway through i think the i don't know what the critical consensus is i think the final episode just came out of season one last night maybe but i'm only halfway through it but so far it's great all right that's not my real recommendation my real recommendation to continue the board game one is a game called paperback um the premise is like you're kind of like a author trying to finish a book or something. The premise is just nonsense. The game is basically deck building Scrabble. <laughs> so you have a deck of letter cards and you have to, you know, play a hand that is a word, right? And you get Whoa. a certain number of points and you can buy, there's a kind of a, an array of cards of other letters and stuff you can buy. And there's like, there's like wild cards that represent victory points and however many, you know, victory points you have at the end you win. But it's, it's just really cool to play. I don't know. Of like a more it's like a more fun version of scrabble <laughs> so like you can choose to play you can choose to buy you know more complex letters like v or x and they're, they're worth more points and stuff and some have special properties like double word score double letter score or, or discard this or re-roll or re redraw this or whatever yeah just really fun we played it um you know at our kind of online 
board game night. We had, I think this was the house rule where like you can help people if they're like struggling to come up with a word with their hand. <laughs> um, and we had to figure out like some advantage to give that uh, if you help someone. But they kind of turned it from a, a competitive thing into kind of a nice little, uh, you know, cooperative, more like fun experience, which was cool. That's the other thing about birds you could talk about next time is house rules. Oh, yes. What was that game called for? Paperback. Paperback. All right. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter, maybe <laughs> at Red Hesion. <laughs> also, <laughs> we're, we're probably we're a little bit past the drama, but maybe there'll be more drama. Uh, but you can also find me on Mastodon. I'm at adhesion at mastodon.social. Also, adhesion.bandcap.com and soundcloud.com slash adhesion. Where can people find you guys? Um, yeah. So uh, I'm on Instagram. I don't really. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. You can find me on Instagram. I'm at the Brendo, except the O is, is a zero. Ooh. And you can look at my photos and you can chat with me there. And it's not a toxic fucking hellhole of a social media site. <laughs> Oh, speaking of toxic hellholes of social media sites, you can find me on Twitter at Heckbrand. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't believe you'd say something like that. And yeah, I guess you can tweet us. Uh, we're at Team Radmars as well, if you want. I don't give a shit. <laughs> Let's turn H.io into a social media platform. That's the only one we'll use. Yeah, yeah. You can play our games on radmars.com and rich, uh, and rat, oh my god, radmars.itch.io. <laughs> That's how it works. Also, yeah, uh, this episode was edited by Andrew Ford, and music in this episode and all episodes was also by Andrew Ford. Yeah. Cool, we did it. We have done half of what we wanted to say about board games and card games. We'll see you next time on that. Thank you all for listening, and thank you guys for being here. Bye-bye. Bye. See ya. Bye.